Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Changes with me, Annie McManus. I met my husband Tom Bell in room one in Fabric Nightclub when I was 30 and he was in his early 20s. He was a tall, remarkably handsome, skinny, big haired, thick accented Sheffield man boy. He was an artist and a DJ who went under the name Toddler T and he just released his debut album Skanky Skanky to great acclaim. We fell in love fast, and four years after meeting Tom, we had a baby together. We had another kid just under four years later, and we've been together for 13 years in all. We've both had to grow up a lot since becoming parents, but since we got married in 2018, Tom has had a kind of reckoning of sorts in terms of understanding himself. And a lot of this is due to a huge change that happened in his life a few years ago, where he became sober and then got an adult diagnosis of ADHD. T has managed to achieve a varied and brilliant career in music. He went on to release two more artist albums, uh, present a show on BBC Radio 1 for 10 years and is now a full-time music producer having produced songs for all sorts of people from Hedy One, AJ Tracy, Stormzy, Fredo, H, Young T and Bugsy, Roots Maneuver and loads, loads more. I suggested to T recently that he come on Changes to talk about the last few years of his life and the kind of epiphanies he's had about himself. I thought it would be really helpful to our audience uh, and really impactful for a lot of our listeners. And he kindly agreed. So a couple of weeks ago, we went into our spare room, put a movie on for the kids and, and kind of had it out. And we covered his journey from being a misunderstood kid in school to his epiphany of discovering music and and kind of figuring out what music did for him um, to becoming famous, to becoming sober and the crippling anxiety that came as a result of that and to finally finding clarity after visiting an ADHD specialist and the work in progress that is his recovery. If you've ever experienced neurodiversity or addiction or know anyone who has, then I think you're going to really relate to this conversation. I must caveat this episode with the fact that neither me or T are doctors, clearly. Uh, And this is just T sharing his experiences and me sharing what I've noticed by being in a relationship with him. We touch on medication here. However, obviously everyone is unique. Do please speak to your GP about what is best for you. Different things work for different people. So this is just T's experience. Shall we do it? My husband on changes with a few interruptions from our children. Enter the podcast, T. I want to start by doing a kind of brief overview of where you're at now with regards to the main thing we're going to talk about, which is how I like to say ADHD. Tell us what ADHD is and what type of ADHD you have. You tell me, Annie. You are the person that has to live with it as much as me. So 
I can tell you how my mind feels, but I believe you are more of an expert in terms of the intricacies and details of the diagnosis. Uh, well, you have ADHD. There's three types of ADHD. There's hyperactive, inattentive and combined. Okay. Which is obviously the third is a bit of both of the first two. Hyperactive is the most kind of um, used one, the one that everyone assumes everyone has when you say those words, ADHD. It's kind mm. of hi- hyperactivity, lack of focus, fidgety. Yeah, the kind of stereotypical shopfront version of what you'd expect it to be, right? Yeah, so the exactly. The kid that gets kicked out of school, the kid that's causing disruption, all that kind of yeah. stereotype. You have been diagnosed with inattentive ADHD and so much of the research that I've done for this podcast has been so incredibly enlightening and mm. so incredibly like oh uh, about you and us and our relationship and everything mm-hmm. so inattentive ADHD symptoms are as follows missing details and becoming distracted easily yeah trouble focusing on the task at hand oh for sure becoming bored quickly yes sir difficulty learning or organizing new information yeah Becoming confused easily or daydreaming <laughs> frequently. Yeah, yeah. Seeming not to listen when spoken to directly. <laughs> Never that. Difficulty following instructions. Yeah. See also maps of any kind. Oh, wow, yeah. Map life. So that's all stuff that you see written on any website you could look at. Uh-huh. But how do those things manifest in your daily life? It's just, I guess, for like, for my internal being, it's quite chaotic. I mean, I am. Um, quite fidgety and quite obviously unsettled sometimes but not all the times whereas the the more shop front version of ADHD we discussed a minute ago people are just obviously that do you understand what I'm trying mm. to say whereas my thing's more internal so even though I don't necessarily look bouncing off the walls 24-7 I feel like my mind is mm. and it's only till I got the quote-unquote diagnosis a few years ago that I realised that it wasn't necessarily the norm to have that type of brain, you know? Mm. So I just thought that's how it was. But in retrospect, loads of my life has been internally chaotic. Like school, I'm not thick, (laughs) I'm not stupid, but I didn't get any good grades. I didn't achieve well academically. And I think everyone used to say, you're underachieving, You're, you're not performing to full potential. Basically saying I was lazy in a kind of official way. Mm. But I can just remember at school just not being able to lock into the subjects that I didn't have an interest in. It was really hard. And then as soon as I left school, it was similar because all I cared about was music, really. That was the only thing I could focus on. Mm. And I'm not the greatest musician. I'm not the greatest studio engineer. I'm not the greatest producer. I'm not the greatest DJ. But because that's all I care and think about in terms of like career or kind of like entertainment it had to be the thing I did you know Mm, mm. so there's an A and a B to the ADHD there's a positive and a negative I don't even think it's a negative actually I think negative is a is a negative word yeah I mean the the very the very definition of ADHD attention deficit hyperactivity disorder the the word disorder feels very misplaced and I know there's a big kind of reaction against that at the moment um, and and more kind of emphasis on on words around kind of neurodivergence Mm. and and neurodiversity um, 
atypical minds, you know, talking about minds being wired differently rather than in any sort of negative emphasis, which is absolutely right. And we are going to speak about like the absolute benefits and the kind of superpower elements of what ADHD does for you. Mm. So um, we're going to get to your childhood. We're going to get to your journey to your adult diagnosis. But in terms of ADHD and now and Mm. how much of a part of your life it is and Let's talk through just like a day in the life of Tom Bell and how ADHD shows itself. Like for me, when I think of you, there's a permanent image in my head, which is of two cups of tea with some tea bags in them and the water never poured. Yeah, yeah, And to me, that symbolizes everything because it's like it's there's always a good intention Mm. behind something. Mm, mm, mm. But your mind doesn't allow you to follow through a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I always used to feel like shame and lazy about certain aspects of my life. It wasn't until I got the quote unquote diagnosis. And the reason I keep saying quote unquote is because I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the terms used for neurodiversity as said. So that's why I say it like that anyway, as we move. Yeah, I just thought, oh, I'm lazy or I can't do it or I'm just a big kid or, you know what I mean? But then when I clocked it and I deeped it and I researched it, I thought, raw. It's actually really hard for me to do basic stuff. Mm. And it's like there's a block in my mind when I go to do certain things. It goes, eh, eh, computer says no. Yeah. So I have the idea or the intention, but to follow it through is quite hard. And that's the thing with ADHD. I think it's like, it's you're right, it's an intention, but the actual proceedings is challenging. So that, you know, that happens a lot in my day from the minute I wake up, you know, like, you know, you tell me about the mornings, you're the outsider looking in, really, even though you're in the trench with me, like, you're not in my mind. So sometimes I can't see what is happening, you know? Yeah. So I always think of that Gabor Mate book about ADHD, which is called Scattered Minds. Brilliant um, book, everyone. There. Yeah, do go get it if you're curious. But um, like Scattered Mind is the absolute precise way to describe you in the morning <laughs> well first of all it's it's that last um symptom of inattentive adhd which is that that daydreaming one because you oh, get yeah. up in the morning and there's a long period where you literally just are not in the room you're somewhere else you're staring out the window and the thing probably one of the most common things i say to you is oi yeah back in the room come yeah, back yeah, to yeah, us yeah, come yeah, back yeah. to us <laughs> constantly pulling you out from your daydreams back into the room yeah so there's that then <laughs> then there's the coffee and we have to contextualize the coffee because one of the other big parts of ADHD in terms of what I see in you is um, kind of impulsivity and like temporary obsessions. You yeah, have, you, obviously, you have your hyper focus on music, but then there's temporary obsessions. Right. So mm. you get really into something, buy everything for it, research, go mad for it for about a week and then it's gone. Move on. And that could be anything from a new Jamaican street dance to <laughs> to a like one weird guy on YouTube to the Wi-Fi router to what is currently the obsession, which is coffee machines. Tea's water coffee machine. That is literally like something you would buy from Starbucks, like nah, full yeah. barista. Yeah, yeah, I'm a barista, you know. Um, so, so you make your coffee and then after that, it's the getting out of the house. Mm. So getting out of the house is absolute chaos. No matter how organized you are, I watch you getting more frustrated with yourself yeah. and getting really angry. But that's my day all day, really. And it's always has been, you know? Mm. So it's just about realizing that's just how it is and what I can do to make it less mental. Yeah, and that's part of growing up is you learning how to troubleshoot your own mind. Exactly. I don't see it at all as in any way affecting 
you because you've smashed it. You know what your brain work, how your brain works, and you you're able to function really well with it. I would say, would you? Yeah, I'm. I actually rate the ADHD in me. I think he's a G. Yeah. Because he's the one that gave me the hyperfocus. We need to talk about hyperfocus because that is my superpower. So that is in terms of a daily thing that how ADHD affects you. That you spend eight hours a day minimum hyperfocusing. Yeah. On music. Yeah, and I always have. And I only really realised when I got the diagnosis that that's what it was. Because people used to say to me a lot, oh my gosh, like you work so hard on music, you put in the work. I can't believe you did that so fast, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't choose to. It just happens. Mm. My superpower is the ADHD in me. I, mm. I swear to you, man. So I give that thanks and a blessing mm. because that way over rides the negative side which is obviously very annoying for someone like yourself the losing stuff the being out of the room the not being able to read the kids books as well as i want to all these things are slightly annoying but they i'm not on the quote-unquote spectrum far enough to it for it to affect my life too negatively mm. that's another thing i think is important like any condition diagnosed there's degrees in it of course some people really struggle Mm. to do everything from driving to having a relationship to finding completing the, any sort of project yeah, like work chaos. Or... I think like my spectrum of it is like low to middle and mm. I actually think it's a pretty wicked tool to have even though it's called a disorder but then again I think it's really important to discuss its relationship with other quote-unquote mental health conditions because they're all cousins they're all bedrooms they're all family anxiety OCD depression, ADHD, they're just tags, but they're all a sort of whirlwind and potion of conditions. Mm. And they all bounce off each other. So for example, ADHD, if you're a sufferer of that, you probably higher chance of suffering from anxiety, which is me. Mm. I have also a diagnosis, an anxiety disorder, which isn't cool. Mm. Like I'm cool, you know me, like I float around, but when I dip into my anxious state, it can be crippling mm. and ain't nothing positive about that. Yeah. Do you get it? But when the ADHD is around, it's not that deep. Yeah. What I'm interested in is the change aspect. If we rewind and look at the story of kind of you as a child growing up and then and then getting to this point of diagnosis. Yeah. What was your biggest change in childhood? I think, it, I know it's cliche, this is the discovery of music. Do you remember when you did discover music for yourself? Yeah, vaguely. Like, remember those compilations, Now Whatever, mm. they still exist. I remember getting well into them and the feeling that the music gave me was kind of some kind of mad euphoria almost that mm. I didn't experience through many other things and do you remember if you were experiencing it in a kind of hyper focused way even then by yeah. listening to it over and over again and... 100 i remember right there was the pop stuff that was just in front of your face as a young person and then when i discovered rap music that was it because i remember the first time i heard biggie's album ready to die i was just like this is it I, it was i don't know why but this was it and then i started kind of taping rap shows and local pirate radio and taking it to school mm. and on my headphones and that was my blanket for the day because 
I wasn't understood by the teachers because they thought I was a bit lazy. I didn't have a particularly strong social group at school, so it was a bit of a loner vibes, right? Mm. But the headphones were my blanket. They were my best mate. Mm. And I was obsessed with the music because it was not only a comfort to me, it was hyper-focused without realising it. Mm. And I remember we went to France for a day trip and I had Wu-Tang on and the 36 Chambers and I just had it on the whole way there and back and people found it odd. I think another thing about people with ADHD, which was fascinating for me when I discovered it more, is that they find it harder to get the reward system in their brain activated. Mm. So there's a, I don't know if it's a chemical or a hormone. It's, it's, it's a, I looked it up, it's a neurotransmitter. Right, so there's a neurotransmitter in your brain called dopamine. There's also one called serotonin. Mm-hmm. Serotonin is more associated with depression mm. and um, and happiness. Dopamine, from what I'm aware, is the reward. Yeah. So dopamine is accessed when you get a reward, whether that be you hear good music, you watch a good film, you get a text message from someone, you eat chocolate, you drink, you do drugs, mm. you, you go on social media. Mm. You know, social media is addictive. Why? Because it's a massive dopamine machine. You go shopping, buy something nice in a shop. Dopamine, mm. bing, bing. Even like, I read something the other day when you get an email, you know, the ding, that yeah. spikes the reward system. So you don't go, yes, but there's something in your brain that goes, "Yeah, hello, hi. Yeah. People with ADHD find it harder to reach that. So imagine, imagine you're stood in a room, yeah? Yeah. With a child. Okay, let's say you're with a four-year-old and I'm 6'2". I can jump to the ceiling and touch it quite easily, right? Mm-hmm. That's a quote-unquote average mind. The child can't touch the ceiling, yeah. okay? The dopamine's on the ceiling. Yeah. So for someone like me, as a six-foot-three-year-old adult, I'm constantly touching the ceiling, yeah. but the child can't. So he's almost thirsty for dopamine. And, I th- and that's kind of what it's like as well, living with ADHD, which is this hyper-focus aspect. Mm. Because when I get something that gives me that reward that an average person gets pretty much a lot. Yeah, easily. I just want to be there all the time because right. I'm getting that what I believe my brain needs. And it's all in the subconscious too. Mm. So I'm not going, I need a reward, I need a reward. I'm just no, like, I just... like it here. I like it here. I'm staying here mentally. So that yeah. could, for me, be music. Um, mm. But like you said earlier, recently got obsessed with coffee machines. I found that quite rewarding, so I was obsessed with that. Yeah. Photography, oh, this is giving me a reward. I'm gonna stay here for ages. And that's yeah. why it gets quite, you know, singular for a while. And it's comedy, it's funny, I've got friends who- There's some great memes. Oh yeah, I've got some friends who are the same and it's just right funny, like. And it's weird because when I go into one of those hyper-focuses about a new thing, it's just on my mind all the time. Yeah. We'll be at dinner, there'll be a deep conversation going on. I'm thinking about the new water filter for the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, a, it's mad. But again, I'm blessed to kind of not be so in that side of it where it detrimental to my day-to-day life, whereas others can be. And that's where I think it gets quite like um, mm. hard. So you're a kid, you're obsessed with music, you're obsessed with rap music, mm-hmm. you're quite introverted, you listen to that all the time, hyper-focus. Yeah. You go to music college That's right, I left Leeds. school at 16 and went to Leeds College of Music because yeah. I had no other idea of what to even attempt. Yeah, and then you're working in retail, working in shoe shops. That's right. And you start putting out music to really big success and there's a period where you become you know, really well known. You're going down to London, you're signed to labels, you're getting gigs, you're becoming a DJ, you're starting to be in front of people, performing. 
how was that? And I, I want to know about your kind of coping mechanisms for that at the time. So, yeah, it's like I say, you're hyper-focusing for years trying to be successful within it, right? And then it happens really quick. All of a sudden, it's like everywhere on all flyers, everyone's ringing me up for remix work. I've gone from a little safety hub of Sheffield in a shoe shop and a studio for £30 a month to like, hot boy in London, gas, gas, gas. Yeah. It was a lot. It wasn't the one, if I'm honest, at the time. It, it induced my anxiety to a level that I'd never experienced before. And I was like 22, I think. Yeah. What I'm talking about is like the most terrified you've ever been in your life, right? That split second you get before a car hits you or doesn't, or you're finding out a result about your health that could be terminal. Mm. Imagine that split second, like that, all day, every day. Mm. Your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, just leaking through your body. Yeah, and that's something that is my crippling mental health condition. And you didn't know what it was? I had no clue what was going on, it was horrible. And it still is when it comes on, but at the time, I didn't know what was going on and it was... So it's even more scary. Yeah, and, and, and then, I'm, you know, I've achieved my goal of being Mr. DJ and, and then I've got all this stress hormone flying around my body. So it was like the time that I should be in joy mm. was the time that I was kind of the least happy. Mm. Uh, which is kind of sad in retrospect, but it is what it is. Once I've sort of accepted it and worked through it, you're a DJ, ain't it? So you're in the club and guess what happens every time you get to a club? You're, you're, given, a you're given a rider, yeah. which is alcohol. Now, alcohol is the best sedative for ADHD and anxiety. Mm. So it became my crutch for 15 years mm. to the point where it was a dependence and that and thus far kicked in an addiction to ad, ad, addictive tendency, mm. which is very common in ADHD and anxiety sufferers. Mm. So um, what did it do for you, your drinking? Yeah. How did it affect your brain? It just basically did two things. It sedated my whole being. Mm. So all that fear and all that jitters just got took down 20, 30%. So your mind didn't race anymore? Then my mind just straightened out. Right. So you just basically like giving me like, I don't know, like what, like when you go for an operation or something. You're like, anaesthetized. Yeah. And, and you know, that's what loads of people drink for and it's part of British culture, isn't it? Mm. And Irish. Yeah. Being a DJ in the music industry, it's just the norm. In fact, it's encouraged. It's not just in given, it, yeah, it's encouraged. It's encouraged. So like yeah. in, in music, particularly in the electronic side of dance, celebrated. Oh my gosh, my man went on a three-day binge. Way. Yeah, yeah. Do you see how much he took? Way. Mm. You know, you go to work and you're given alcohol and it's like, it's mad. And I see it in loads of young people now just kind of using it as a coping mechanism. Mm. And, um, you can't preach to the youths because they have to basically find it their own way. Of course, yeah. And that's what happened to me. I hit rock bottom about four years ago. I was like, this is too much. So what was the catalyst for that? Like, where what was going on in your life then? Uh, what was going on? I mean, the thing is, like, I did a lot for a long time, didn't I? I was a DJ producer, radio broadcaster, yeah. ran raves, ran merch, was a father, was a husband... So it was even like more necessary in my mind to sedate myself as much as possible. Mm. Yeah, it was just like COVID, it was self-medication. Mm -hmm. So all it was, it was self-medicating. Mm. And again, I see that in so many people and I don't judge or think anything other than fair play to these young people. And did you know at the time? That I was self-medicating? Yeah. 
Wait, yeah, but a, not to was the there point, a consciousness of that? Yeah, not to the point that I know now, though. Right, yeah. You know, now I'm like, okay, that's why they smoke so much. Oh, that's why he does that. Mm. Do you get it? But for me, it was just what I thought was a coping mechanism. And it was. Like, and the mad thing is, in my 20s, it worked. Of course. It actually worked. Yeah. I just drank my way through it. Yeah. And it, and it, it allowed me to get through a lot of circumstances that I don't know if I could have done otherwise. Mm. Yeah? yeah? What? Yeah. No, that's tonight. <laughs> Trini tries after dinner. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. What would you say is the biggest change that you went through as an adult or have been through so far as an adult? Parenthood and sobriety in completely different ways. Okay. Talk to me. Well, when a child comes along, it's just it changes everything. Mm. And I just still think to this day, if I didn't have kids, I'd be an absolute joker. Because mm. I think it was the first step of like, sort your son out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm so blessed to like, have the opportunity to, I know this sounds mad, but to do the school run. Because mm. you know what it does? It forces me out of the house Mm. at 8 30 every day with two brilliant little individuals and mm. i'm up and i'm out if i didn't have them i won't be up till 10 do you know what i mean mm. Mm. the structure that they give me and gave me is mm. essential to my happiness mm. Mm. so they came along the first one is now eight years old the second one has just turned five yeah um and you became sober how, how long are you sober now three and a bit years. Is it three and a bit years yeah so our second one would have been about one. That's right. And our and our first one would have been about four. Mm-hmm. What was I can't remember. What was Why did I sober yeah, up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Why then? Yeah. Because what happened was, I was drinking through my twenties, and the hangovers were okay, and there was no children, and mm. I could get away with it. I was a DJ, ain't it? I think everyone can relate to that. Yeah, of course. But then normally, I guess, people who don't work in an industry like myself get to a certain age and they can't really roll like that anymore because they're yeah. up in the office or they're up on the yeah. on the on the bus or whatever. But I could get away with it for longer than most because of my job, right? Mm-hmm. But then when the kids come along, it's different. I always knew in my mind, like, oh, this drinking thing is a bit mad, but I can roll with it. But when they get to a certain age, I don't want them to see me like that as that guy. Yeah, I don't want to, them to think that oh my dad's a drink one of them drinking dons. I just, I just think it's whack. Mm. That's the reality. And then it got to an age when our oldest was like getting mindful of his surroundings, and I was thinking this is getting a bit mad now. The thing is, I started drinking as a coping mechanism for the DJ stuff, mm. and then twelve, thirteen years later, it became a coping mechanism for everyday life almost. Mm. And that's when I knew this is an issue. Mm. 
because I felt like I needed a drink before social events, before mm. anything with any stress involved. Mm. When I knew, wow, this is peak, was when I thought, I felt trapped in it. I felt mm. like I was trapped by a substance because mm. I couldn't imagine it not existing. Mm. I was scared of it not existing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, if you take alcohol in my life, I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to go here and see this person and I won't be... And also, like, alcohol's been a crutch for you to be able to do your career. Exactly. So it's all enmeshed into you being able to walk on stage and DJ. Yeah. So, so if, uh, it's understandable. You'd yeah. be like, well, if I take away that, that's half my livelihood, gone. If if yeah, you know if at I'm that not, time, yeah at that as time, in if, yeah. if I if I can't DJ which I can't don't think I can without booze yeah and I, you take away booze and I can't DJ yeah basically in short there was no other way I could see her making money and that was a big part of it was the kind of like mm. substance that allowed me to do it in my mind but then yeah it was getting mad and my hangovers were getting super brutal the binges were going on for longer yeah. I was turning into the person that I just didn't like so I went on a mad thing. One night, day session, night session, woke up next day. My mum and dad had come down to help me because you were away. They'd left, woke up, still a bit tipsy, whatever. Went to a birthday bash with the kids, like a daytime, you know. Like mm, a, birthday party. Had a glass of Prosecco there. Got home, felt like absolute hell. Put telly on. Nausea was loud, climbed into one of our kids' beds to have an hour. He came in the room and went, Dad, what are you doing? I thought, you know what? am I doing mm. and that was it mm. I said this is enough you know but I was shocked to stop drinking yeah because like I say it was a big part of my thing and I didn't know how you could exist in this industry with not being that yeah so I looked up AA mm -hmm. and I was shocked again because I had shame of my alcoholism because mm -hmm. I thought it's just I just had a shit. It's just it's nonsense, isn't it? Mm. Everyone's got something. Yeah. I just had booze. Yeah. I felt ashamed. And I thought, if I go AA and I go to that place and I see that guy and he's at the school gates, he's going to know I'm that guy. Yeah. So at the time, I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. So I just basically hyper-focused on getting sober. <laughs> <laughs> ADHD to the rescue. And I bought this book, something like The Joys of Sobriety. That was amazing. I'll put the link, if I put the link in this mm. somewhere. Yeah, we'll put the link in the, in the episode notes for sure. And she, I just related to her so much and it was like, oh, she's an ally without realising it. And yeah. she was the one, that book got me through the first month. Mm. And it's been three years. Mm. Congratulations, and, babe. Yeah, it was mad though at first. I was shook to go to any social event. I was shook to go to a pub. I was shook to go to a club. Yeah. Because I didn't want any any triggers to make me drink you got a bit better at it now oh now I'm calm yeah every now and again I see a can of beer or a Guinness yeah. and I think oof and it yeah. goes rapid yeah but I can be in anywhere pretty much yeah. I don't like being around people around me because they're horrible mm. but you only realise that when you're not that anymore of course yeah so I won't go to DC 10 at 4am yeah no sir but I'll happily get at Boozer at you know, 6pm yeah. with you and your mate it's lovely mm. I'll just get out of there at 10 when you start getting sloppy yeah <laughs> because <laughs> it's just not the frequencies ain't aligned no yeah. more and that's fine do yeah. your thing yeah. but I'm home so I always get lifts home from the pub now yeah. it's, it's a joy man like I know loads of people find it intimidating to stop something that they find destructive but find also an everyday being and coping mechanism and I, I, I get it like I was that mm. but the positives outweigh the negatives for me like 95 to so 5% much. it's mad I'm super proud of myself slightly but I'm also like 
this is my duty. As, to, as a parent, do you mean? Yeah, and as a man. To right. not turn into to that yourself, guy. To yourself. Yeah, to myself, to you, to my mm. parents. Like, mm. Even though it never got that peak. No, it, it didn't. It yeah. never got peak to the state of like, oh, this guy's going to split the family up. Or, yeah, no. It was never that. It, but, but it got hard when, with, with, when you were a parent and the hangovers because you were not able to parent with a hangover. That's what I'm saying. So I used That's to get dead. so cross with you because it'd be whack. like, I, I, I remember saying to you like, if you're going to drink grand but you have to be able to handle the hangover mm, and you I could never the do hangovers it. were brutal man i used to be like after a big weekend it'd be till wednesday yeah be yeah. a gym and, then, and and it wouldn't just be a physical thing it would be like angst and you know it would be mental the, health yeah the mental health would be the problems crushed yeah so be building yourself up all week yeah and then going at it again the next week yeah going just oh, on, a, on a tuesday i'm not drinking ever again yeah Come thursday back at it again yeah and babe so so you decided to go sober you read the book and this leads to the next big change that happened mm. to you, yeah. which was getting this diagnosis yeah. that you'd never really officially got before. That's right. Um, that gave you a lot of clarity on, yeah. your, on your life yeah, thus yeah, yeah. far. What led to that? Right, so I'm sober now, yeah? So I've got all this new energy flying around my mind and body, and I put it all into the studio. I just by coincidence had my first quote-unquote hit record around the same time. Mm. It's called I Carumba by Fredo Young to be in Bugsy. It was mm. shot in it 38 in charts. Mm. So I was like, raw, this is mad. Like, this is like this music that I've loved and championed, or whatever you want to call it, from nine years old is now pop music without me mm. meaning to be involved in it. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to put all my strength into this movement. Mm. But then everything rose to the top that had been sedated. So everything that I was sedating for 15 years probably yeah. slowly eked out. Gigs became really like transparent in terms of like the reality of yeah. where I was and who was there and all that. Everything was like, like I say, the armor came off mm. and I was just out there for the first time, giving life a shot. Mm. And uh, it was a good, I don't know, good year of feeling really uncomfortable. And then again, another massive spike of anxiety, which mm. lasted, oh, mate, six months. Yeah, it was your worst yet. It was horrible. Yeah, bless um, you. And it was like the cortisol, as I said earlier, is the stress hormone tap just was on from the minute I opened my eyes to yeah. the minute I shut them. And it was raw because yeah. there's nothing, it's just you. Couldn't go out and get smashed in Yeah, light. it was raw. Yeah. Yeah. So, but meantime, it was mad because I was still, like, by this time, I was like, look, this thing that comes on and off mm. is there regardless. Mm. So I'm just going to crack on my life. Mm. I went to studio and I could, and made loads of music and some of it became like top 10 hits. Successful, yeah. And some of it became like these major moments and I went on tour and all this stuff. Internally, I was just like really struggling, but Mm. I thought I could be laying in bed or I could be in studio and I'm gonna feel the same. Yeah. So I'm gonna try and just live the day. Yeah. But it got so bad for so long it just felt cruel i was like i need more help here yeah and i'd been on and off at therapy for years because of like my kind of like anxiety and stuff and this woman years ago said i think you've got adhd i says nah man come mm. on bro mm. it's not that apart from her you'd never suspected that you might have adhd up to nah. and then after this six months of hell i was like i'll jump off backwards naked yeah. into an ice bucket in saudi arabia shouting i hate Annie to feel any relief you yeah. understand yeah so I found someone and I went to see him 
who is an ADHD adult specialist and he's changed my life. No. And when he sat me down mm. and told me all the stuff that comes with it and what it is, it was the Eureka moment. And then when I actually had to go away and do the work and come back with the with all the details he wanted and he gave me the green light saying you have ADHD, mm. I literally nearly cried with joy. So because he, yeah. someone finally clocked who I was. Yeah. Since having these clear diagnoses of mm. who I, how my brain works, it means you can put them in a place which is workable. So mm. like, right, I know that I've got this on as a fact. So how am I going to improve my brain without mm. knowing what's going on in your head? You're just mm. pissing in wind, man, getting drunk. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's changed my life literally for the better. And I'm forever grateful. And I'm blessed because I have finance, knowledge, and an infrastructure that got me to that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's very hard to get an, an adult diagnosis of Anything. ADHD, of, of any sort of mental illness. I mean, there's this, there is a system and... I'll tell you how to do that in the outro. There's a clear system. Obviously, it starts with your GP. Mm. But um, it is very difficult. So, I, I, and having been with you through that journey, because this man mm. did insist that I was with you in the appointments, which I was quite surprised at initially. I thought it's his business. It's personal to him. Yeah. He asked your mum for all your old school reports. Yeah. He asked your mum to contribute as well and tell, tell him what she remembers about you as a child. Mm. And I just found it so emotional because... I just thought everything you have thought about yourself up to this point, mm. everything you've been told, everything you've been led to believe because of not fitting into the shape of the system, yeah. be it educational yeah. or whatever, is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's wrong. It, people are getting the way your brain works mixed up with your actual personality. Yeah. Oh, you're lazy. Yeah. Oh, you're not focused. You don't try hard enough. You mm. don't care enough. Mm. When in fact you're doing all of those things. You're trying, you're mm. caring, your intentions are there, mm. but your brain doesn't allow you there to you do go. it in the same way as other people. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 but how did it make you think about yourself after that? Like looking back at I, I, your entire life up I, to that point. I just, no, like I said, I felt like crying with joy. Cause I was like- You oh, were happy. I, yeah, bro, because I was like, oh, I wasn't lazy. And when I try and do that, I'm yeah. actually trying to do it. Yeah. And, all these things, just the lights got turned on in the room. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's what it is. You've, yeah. you've cracked it. Speaking of cracking, go. one of our children's cracked by the sounds of it. Hang on. So he prescribed you Ritalin originally, right? <laughs> right, so there was loads of different ways that we could have approached a bit of quote-unquote recovery because I was in such a mad place at that particular time. And one of them was Ritalin. I am not anti-medicine or anti-medication, sure. yeah. whether it be for depression, anxiety, whatever. Um, so I'd, I'm saying that loud. I think it can save people's lives. I think mm. in the right time and place, it is essential for certain people. But Ritalin was not that for me, dog. <laughs> So it's a stimulant, right? So yeah. it's like a massive shot of dopamine, which we talked about earlier, mm. which sounds great, right? Mm. 
Um, and you think, why are you giving that to someone who's already hyper? And I think the idea is it tops up your you know, your dopamine so that you're not searching for it all the time. So you're not trying to gain rewards. Mm. You're just permanently in a reward. So therefore you can focus on normal day to day. I think that's the theory. I mean, it. I remember him describing it as if it was a recreational drug. Like yeah. you have to take it at a certain time in order for it to start kicking in yeah. at a certain time. And then you'd be able to have a working day and then it would fade out before bed so you'd yeah. be able to sleep. And yeah. I was, remember thinking, this sounds like doing an E or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. mad, but yeah. just a prolonged version. That's right. You have to drop it at a certain time so it works in certain parts of the day for you. Yeah. And then and then you were on it at home, weren't you? And I just oh, I just remember you were like in the pots and pans drawer in the kitchen Clunking. and it was literally chaos. It was oh, like mate. clanking and clanging. I was like, what are you doing? It, and you were so, you were like high. Yeah, it didn't work for me. But you know what? It was funny because like I tried it for a bit, and like any medicine of that type, it takes a while to settle. So they say stick with it. Yeah. So I was dropping it and going studio, and the artists I worked with I had no clue, bro. Yeah. I was working with some high level artists. I my teeth were grinding because like right. cause I was so bus up. But and was that I, not a bit scary as someone who'd just gone sober as well? Like. Yeah, but at that point I was like I said I would have literally bike flipped down the yeah. River Thames. Yeah. So I was giving it a shot, but um, it didn't work for me. It was too much. It agitated my anxiety as well. But there was a sweet spot before it got intense that calmed me down and made me really content. Yeah. So that, again, that was part of my journey to go, oh, actually, this is definitely something. Elements of this could work. Elements yeah. of this are making me realise what I need to do in life. Yeah. So I'm glad I did it. And like, it, it was comedy at parts. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do it anymore. It didn't work for me, but mm. yeah, it was a joke. Mm talking about our relationship and and again this is something that I did some research on it's just like living with people with ADHD and and I remember sending you a screenshot of something I found on a website and just being like oh my god this is us yeah right so so much of my impression of you in our relationship was based on the wrong things in the same way as your impressions of yourself at school your teacher's impressions of you at school or yeah. whatever I thought that there was lots of things that in our relationship that made you at times lazy yeah well-intentioned but just couldn't be arsed yeah. a lot of the time yeah yeah proper. or just which don't get me wrong i'm a human so there's times yeah. when that is of course the case right yeah but it when it's constant yeah so we find out that you had the thing with adhd so i found this website i'm going to get you to read your bit and me to read mine okay All right, which so is... if you're the person with adhd this is what happens if you're the person with adhd in the relationship i might get bored off waiting i'm <laughs> You may feel like you're constantly being criticized, nagged, and micromanages. No matter what you do, nothing seems to please your spouse or partner. You don't feel respected as an adult, and you find yourself avoiding your partner or saying whatever you have to do to keep them off your back. Y yeah, I mean, you, you could say that for a lot of relationships, yeah, absolutely. Though, for sure, right? Yeah. You wish your significant other could relax even a little bit and stop trying to control every aspect most, of your life. Most, most, <laughs> most used, this is to me, are A, relax, and B, you're a control freak. Basically, yeah, mm. especially when it gets heated. Uh, you wonder what happened to the person you fell in love with. Jeez, deepest. that's a bit strong. That's okay, bit so deep. I'm the next that's one. That's a bit deeper. I was. I've always been. You don't that wonder person. what's happened to the person. You I've fell always been that one. If anything, I've chilled out. Okay, then my one is just bearing my teeth. Just picked up his phone there. Literally, I wanted Put to shut it a dopamine. down. Cool. So 
If you're in a relationship with someone who has ADHD, you may feel lonely, ignored and unappreciated. You're tired of taking care of everything on your own and being the only responsible party in the relationship. You don't feel like you can rely on your partner. They never seem to follow through on promises and you're forced to constantly issue reminders and demands or else just do things yourself. Sometimes it feels as if your partner just doesn't care. So when I read that, I was like, what yeah, yeah. because that's all very extreme yeah but there's a lot of that that applies directly to us uh, yeah. or did pre-diagnosis yeah where it was i was like why can't you remember my birthday yeah. <laughs> still t does not know what date my birthday is on and we've been together since 2009 mm. and initially i was like that's just care that's just carelessness mm. like if you really tried to remember that you'd remember it you know what one of the things that bun me and it still buns me is i can't remember our second child's birthday I can't remember it. I know it's January the something or something, and yeah. I still can't get it. The only reason I remember my first is because it's on my ring on my hand. Yeah, and that buns me because I, I I want I rate one of, but I just can't do it. Yeah, and it's to do with that neuropath path yeah. in my brain. Yeah, but that's why my diary's like essential. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, I put things in my life that are really like kind of necessary just to basically not mess up. Mm. One of them is stuff like that, like hardcore diary. One is like, I've got these things called tiles, which are little things that are attached to my keys, phone, wallet, which if when I lose, which is 25 times a day, yeah. I press a button, it shows me where it is. It's constant. Yeah. I have little things like that because mm. my brain, unfortunately, is not having it. So I just use tools around me and that has become like a big thing for me. Yeah. Moving forward after getting my diagnosis is tools. Mm. And moving forwards for me as your partner, it's kind of trying to un be more understanding yeah. and recognize and be able to remove the symptoms of your atypical brain yeah. with the actual day to day behaviors that you have in the house, yeah. which is those two cups of tea with the tea bags and never poured tea. <laughs> this is a great classic tea. I'm going to clear out my wardrobe today. All the, all the clothes come out and just stay on the middle of the floor. So it's, <laughs> I'm 36, it, you know. It's that. It's yeah. that. And the, but it's also, it's been such a relief for me because yeah. I've, I, I remember, and I have said this so often to you, I don't want to be this person that's a nag. Yeah. And I don't want to be labelled as that because that's not who I am. Yeah. But being in this relationship with you kind of makes that happen sometimes. So mm. now that I can be way more understanding of how we relate to each other mm. in terms of how your brain works and how my brain works, it's just helped so much. Yeah, hundred. It's it's knowledge, isn't it? It's it's the key. It's empathy. It's understanding. Yeah. It's tools. It's just clocking it and working with it. Yeah. And working on it. Yeah. I want to finish this because I, I know we've been talking for ages mm. and we're going to have two tantrums at the end of it. Not ours, maybe ours, but our kids mm. uh, because we haven't given them dinner yet on the kind of lovely beneficial things that ADHD has done for you, what type of person it makes you? Right, so, uh, like I said at the start, the one hyper-focus that has never gone is music. So that has led me to sat with you today, the two kids in the living yeah. room. And it's why you find a lot of musicians and artists and creative people... I'd say 90% of the people I work with are like this. Yeah. And it's... Uh, and we're sick. Mm. We're sick guys. Mm. Super creative, su loads of empathy, loads of love, mm. colour, vibe, joy, fun. Mm. Wicked, wicked vibes. Mm. You get what I'm saying? And I'm obviously, of course, there's negatives to this stuff. But 90% of it that I come across is up. Mm. Mm. And I met so many great people with, that are labelled neurodiverse. Mm. Pretty much all my friends, you know what I mean? I get a bit 
confused when someone comes through the and they're not that. I'm like, hang on. Yeah. You're too straight for this thing, yeah. Yeah, and to give credit to a lot of the labels, like th- there is an effort, well, I know for a fact, in Universal Records to really embrace and and nurture the neurodiverse within mm. the labels and it's, allow them to have more spit, whatever they need to work like. It's, it's a must. Like I say, uh, yeah, people with ADHD and all these little tags are more likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, all yeah. these things. And it's a must that the people who aren't necessarily in the same boat but capitalise off these individuals, treat them with care and duty. Mm. It's a must. And celebrate them, yeah. Celebrate it yeah. and just bear that in mind. So, yeah, all right. Compassion, she, we have to she say might, that. She might not want to do press today. She's not being lazy. Yeah. She can't get out of bed. Right. Do you get it? Mm. He don't want to come to the video shoot. He's being awkward. Nah. Yeah. He's suffering from crazy anxiety. Mm. Do you get what I mean? Mm. Like these type of things, you want to come to the tuition now. Mm. Yeah. In sport as well, right? It's happening Absolutely. in sport in a big way. You can't have Ying without Yang. Yeah. You can't be this brilliant artist and not have the other side, which is a bit annoying because... You can't have Ying without Yang. Mm. People need to realise that in the music biz particularly. Yeah. Hey, um, another thing that I notice as your partner that ADHD brings you, and again, that I read up as a common trait, is um, compassion. Mm. Like, I've always felt that you have had, like, remarkable level of compassion and empathy and kindness and just kind of perceptiveness about people in the room. Mm. and I think maybe that comes from your own personal experience so you'll see the person in the room that isn't comfortable or happy and you'll go and make sure that they're all right or yeah I think that's partly to do with experience and upbringing and whatnot but yeah there's definitely a a default go-to is to make sure everyone's all right Mm. and make sure that everyone feels comfy and again if that's a trait of ADHD yeah, that has led into my studio process and thus for my success. Yeah, because people need to be comfortable around you to make good music. You, you know, people are coming to my little room mm. with me and potentially another male. Mm. I'm walking through this alleyway into this little world and expected to write a banger. Mm. They've got to feel safe, right, mm. and comfy. So I don't think about that. Mm. It just kind of happens. Mm. So again, the ADHD and the empathy in me has created a safe space in the studio to create mm. art that has been successful. Mm. So again, that's a positive. But the empathy thing can be a bit annoying, I can't lie, because when you care that much about everything and everyone, you try and help loads of people and mm. you, sometimes you neglect your own happiness occasionally because you're trying to fix everyone else. Yeah, and also you can feel too much about the world around you that's and it right. gets too much. That's right. Like you often said to me, I can't watch this, it's too heavy. And, and I was like, that's life, babe. Yeah. You have to be able to watch this. It's just how, this is, we have to be able to just watch this. We can't just ignore the yeah, shit yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But again, sometimes it bonds too since much. the ADHD diagnosis, it's like, well, maybe your brain isn't yeah. able for this certain right things. now. Yeah, certain things, you know, of course. And then last but not least, benefits I've written down, impulsiveness means being spontaneous so there is a mm. kind of very exciting side to you as someone with ADHD where you're like fuck it yeah. let's just do this yeah. now and um, that can be it's good and bad yeah. <laughs> babe um yeah. The last change question we ask is what change would you still like to make on yourself or the world around you? In terms of the world around, I think it's kind of like, yeah, compassion and understanding. And like, I wished 
when I was 21 and I first felt these feelings, there was more info because mm. I was lost for a while and now it's all there mm. and it's great. Mm. So more of that, more love, less judgment. We're all mash up. In our own ways. Absolutely. ADHD is a superpower. Embrace it. You're a G. Mm. There's so much information out there for people that might want to explore it further. One thing that anyone who maybe thinks about their self being similar to me, you can test yourself online mm. for a basic kind of like diagnosis. And if mm. you feel like, oh, that's me, then you can explore it further. Mm. Um, so that's a really good tool. There are two brilliant blogs for anxiety and ADHD on Instagram that I'll post that are really useful. Yeah, we'll and put them in the notes as well. Yeah, a really notes. good book, a couple of books. But I feel like these two places will help you more than I can help anyone in terms of like guidance. Mm. Annie always says to me, why can't you hyper-focus on the kitchen? <laughs> I'm like, you have spent two days hyper-focusing on a coffee machine for your studio. <laughs> have you ever, ever asked where the sofas come from? Because like, have you ever given a shit about boring. the dishwasher in your own kitchen? Oh. What, about, what about the washing machine? Where's that come from? Yeah. Well... Yeah. John Lewis, These just time, FYI. My head's in like, John which Lewis. coffee beans are the right cup for the bra? You know what I mean? Yeah. Can't dis the order. Can't dis no disorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he dropped the mic. <laughs> right, let's go put the baked potatoes in the oven. Thank you so much to Tom. Um, I'm so grateful to him for being so open and generous with regards to his mental health on this episode. I really hope that uh, it was a constructive an enjoyable listen for you. T has taught me so much about mental health. Being with him has afforded me a perspective on the world that I feel really, really grateful for. He has such empathy and kindness for people and the world. And so much of that is due to his journey with mental health. I thank him from the bottom of my heart for allowing us to hear his story and for telling it in such a generous way. If you think that you may have something like ADHD or some sort of neurodiversity that is undiagnosed and kind of impacting your life and you want to get it checked out, then the first step is always with your GP. They will then refer you to a community mental health team. It is this team that will then refer you to a specific specialist. So in the ADHD case, it will be an ADH specialist neurobehavioral psychiatrist. The assessment will take up to three hours. It's really detailed. Um and hopefully you'll get something out of it. We've included some links in the episode notes to more information on that process. And if you need help or if you've been affected or know someone who's been affected by the topics raised in this episode, do please reach out for help. The Samaritans can be reached on 116123 and check the show notes for details outside the UK and Ireland. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Share this around to anyone you think that would benefit from it. And I will be back next Monday with Lem Sisse, poet, playwright, broadcaster and speaker who's had the most extraordinary life. He was stolen from his mom as a child, rejected by his foster family and spent much of his childhood in and out of often brutal institutions in the care system. Yet despite everything, he is a BAFTA-nominated international prize-winning writer and last year received an OBE for services to literature and charity. And that's just the start of it. Do not miss it. Lam Sisse on Changes next week. Thank you so much for listening. Changes is produced by Louise Mason. See you next time. Hold up. 